0: Well, one of the most famous C.S. Lewis quotes kept coming to my mind this week. Uh, You've probably heard it before, uh, but Lewis says, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward, promises promised in the gospel, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at sea. We are far too easily pleased. This week as I've been meditating on our text, it's been quite discouraging in the sense of trying to imagine how I can help you see what I think is all here. I know the Spirit of God has to do it In fact, as Paul tries to say these things, I'll show you his prayers for you and for I as we tried to grasp what he says. But I was encouraged by Psalm 103 this week. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. As a way of introduction, I think Psalm 103 is helpful Our text before us is calling us to bless the Lord. Verses 3 through 14 in Ephesians 1, the charge is to give praise to God, to bless the Lord. And this psalm starts out this way. Psalm 103, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. And it struck me, normally I would just read that first line and yeah, bless the Lord and all that is within me. But to know what it would be like to have every part of my heart, to not be a half-hearted creature fooling about and amazed by things that aren't glorious. So he says, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And look at what he says, and forget not all his benefits. And the psalmist doesn't even know what he's fully saying because he has not yet learned of Christ by name. He doesn't know Jesus of Nazareth, that is the perfect image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature, that there's a new covenant in his blood. And so he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. He crowns you with patient love. It's steadfast love and mercy who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known to the ways of Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. What if there's a limit to his love? What if it's high, but it stops? But the benefits we have, a Lord that doesn't count our transgressions against us because of Christ, And so often we come on a Sunday morning, myself included, with half-hearted hearts that aren't large enough, aren't alive enough, aren't hot enough to grasp so that when great truths come, we become numb to them. And I just commend the rest of this psalm to you. At the end, he starts telling the angels and everything and all creation to bless him. Everything within him, all the angels, all the hosts, everything in creation, bless his name. And I kind of feel a little foolish because at the beginning of the week, Scott said, you're probably going to cover verses Uh, three through fourteen and about three or four sermons and I said no I'm going to do them all at once they all hold together at least I'm going to try to I said well little did I know that those verses that were in my lap are some of the richest deepest there's no way you can do it in one sermon so this morning We're going to do a flyover. We're going to fly over it. Now, one of the things, uh, tools that a hunter has at his disposal nowadays is a satellite image of exactly where you are on your phone. And when you get into deep ravines with trees and valleys and and and, and you're not hunting in the plains of Aberdeen, South Dakota, it's real easy to get lost when you get in mountains or trees or forests. And what's helpful for the hunter is to study the land he's going into before he goes in because it's not going to look anything like it once you get in there. And there's a sense where If we just jump right in without flying over these verses, we're going to get into the weeds of predestination and election. And we're going to get into the uh, wonderful work of redemption and restoration and revelation and inheritance and being sealed in the Holy Spirit. All these are huge, deep doctrines That we'll miss the point of the text if we don't fly over it first, see what the main points are, and then next week we'll start diving in. So we'll do a flyover and then we'll take this in three parts. It's going to be really helpful to be looking at this text this morning. And I pray that the Spirit helps you see the glory that's here Uh, And before we just jump in, I want to remind us of what I think is the main theme of the book of Ephesians, and it's how we have become new men, new women in Christ, individually and collectively, so that the church is built up into the fullness of the stature of Christ. So I, did, I, I want the main theme to be in your mind first, and then we're going to fly over this text. So let me just point a couple things out. Uh, Ephesians 1.1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, to the saints, I want you to look at that word, who are in Ephesus, who are faithful in Christ Jesus to saints in Christ Jesus. Saints in Christ Jesus. There is the old man in Adam, and there, are, there is the new man in Christ Jesus. In Christ. We are either in Adam or we are in Christ, and we see from the very first verse that this text is written to those of us who have new life in Christ. Uh, Someone might say, so why is this sermon gonna be important? How do I apply it to my life? I think my answer is that you don't know who you are or what your life is or why you would do anything apart from knowing who you are. So the basis of all application, what do I do now in light of this? You need to know who you are in Christ. That's what Paul is doing. He's showing them. He's reminding them. He's opening this sea of mind-boggling You need the Holy Spirit help and the power of God to comprehend what it means that you're a new man. And then in chapter three, he starts telling us what to do and what commands he has for us, what what practical application looks like. But if we don't know who who you are, you don't know what to do. All right? So lean in. This isn't just high theology. This is your life in Christ and if you look at chapter 2 verse 1 he says you were dead in your trespasses in sins and then in verse 4 he says but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you've been saved Remember who you are. You were dead, and God made you alive. That's what we're going to see in chapter 2. And then we're going to see in chapter 3, in verse 20, he says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, within this new creation, we can't even imagine what God can do. We can pray for big things, and God can do even greater things when we're found in Christ, beyond what we even know to pray for. And then if we were to look at chapter 4, we see that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You see, we become a new man individually, but then we're saved into a body so that Christ is the incarnate God who took on flesh. And then it's like there's a second Incarnation in that through those whom Christ brings alive, there's the body of Christ where Christ is the head and the world can see Christ in the church. It's It's incredible to grasp what God is doing. You see, we're not just coming to church for a a couple helpful hints this week to get through the week. Do you realize you're a part of a new creation that took a miracle to bring about? It took the sovereign will of God and power of God and spirit of God and work of the Son to bring it about? And then we see when he starts to get practical, Ephesians 4.17, he says, Now to this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They become callous. They've given themselves up to sensuality greedy practice of every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Christ, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, which is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So as he gets into the application If you don't listen through chapter one and chapter two and chapter three as God tells you who you are in Christ, it's not going to make sense to put off the old self and put on the new self. You're not going to see how foolish it is. See, it's not just breaking a rule. Don't live like the Gentiles because they're immoral. No, he says, don't live like the Gentiles because that part of you was the old man that's dead and you're alive in Christ with this inheritance sitting in front of you, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You see, we got to fly over and see what's here to know how we ought to listen when we dive in uh, to our text. Yeah, My shoe comes untied every week. Okay, so if you don't believe me that we need help from the Holy Spirit, I want to show you two more. I want to show you Paul's two prayers in here, all right? Look at verse 15 of chapter 1, Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus... In your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remembering you in my prayers, and then what does he pray for? Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know, what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might? (laughs) So when Paul prays and he's writing this letter, he's just saying, God, nothing's gonna happen (laughs) if by your power and your spirit, you don't give him understanding. If you don't, these are too big. These are not uh, fleshly truths. These are spiritual truths that we need the help of God. And then he bows knee in chapter 3, verse 14. Let me just show you this prayer. He says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened. All right, we're going to ask why. Why is he asking for strength? Grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that being rooted and grounded in love, you may have the strength See, it takes power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay. Now you see why I didn't Strut up into the pulpit this morning with much confidence in anything I could do without God's Spirit helping us, God's power helping us meditate on and love and bring about worship in light of the salvation God's worked for us. So now we're to our text. Ephesians 1, verse 3 through 14. I just want to point out some things. What we're going to do is we're going to go over top of this text, we're going to come back. We're going to go over this, top of this text, look at something else, we're going to come back. We're going to keep flying over top of it, and we'll see what the main point of the text is. You can see right away in verse 3 that this is a Trinitarian text. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Where do you think spiritual blessings come from but from the Holy Spirit? In fact in Galatians uh, Paul says that the blessing that Abraham was promised he was promised children, land, and blessing. And the blessing culminates in the Holy Spirit that is given to us in the new covenant that lives inside us. Galatians 3.8 says, and the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying, and you shall all the nations be blessed. And then he says, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, for all who rely on the works of the law are under the curse. And then in verse 14 he says, so that in Christ the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And so what we see right away in verse 3, that as Paul thinks about our salvation, he thinks about the Trinity. Because we see that the Father is the one who planned our salvation. Christ is the one who worked our salvation on the cross. And the Spirit is the one who applies it to us. And you see this understanding as we uh, look at this. So let's look at praise to the Father first. Well, the the first thing I want to point out is verses three through six is speaking to what God did in the past that worked our salvation for us In, in God choosing us before the foundation of the world. So it's in the past. We see the Father being highlighted here. And then we see how Christ's work in verses seven through 12 We see the Son's work of redemption for us, and it's in the present tense in in verse 7. In Him we have redemption. Here's what God did in the past. Here's what we have now in Christ. And then we, we get to see the praise to the Holy Spirit in God's future work that He'll work through us. in in verses uh, 13 and 14. So there's this past, present, future nature of these verses. There's kind of the Father's work that seems to be highlighted, and then the Son's, and then the Spirit's. So it's helpful as we fly over to see these things. Uh, Now, as you look at your outline in your notes... Uh, We're not going to dive into the specifics of the Father's work, Him uh, choosing us to be holy and blameless before Him and adopting us before the foundation of the world uh, in Christ. We're going to dive into that next week. And we're not going to dive into the redemption, restoration, revelation, inheritance in Christ. I just want you to see how this flows so let's first see that the main point of this passage is that we worship Christ or that we worship God all right if if we look at this text what we see is the subject of almost every verb is God acting so God's the one who's acting And the point of this text is to praise God. And so it makes sense that he points out that God is acting and working in our salvation. Uh, We see it in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord, Jesus Christ, who blessed us. It's God who blessed us. In verse 4, he chose us. In verse 5, he predestined us. In verse six, he blessed us. In verse seven, he, uh, we have redemption through Christ and the forgiveness of his trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Uh, verse eight, he's the one that lavished upon us this grace. In verse 9, he's the one that set forth uh, the mystery, so it revealed it to us so we can understand the gospel. Verse 9, making known to us uh, the mystery of his will. Uh, In verse 10, he's the one that unites all things in him. In verse 11, uh, he's the one, it says... uh, according to the purpose of him who works all things. God is the actor. God is the worker. Paul is not emphasizing our role at all. Paul is emphasizing what God has done. He will get to what we must do, but what we first must see is what he has done. Uh, the theme you'll see throughout this text is that he does all this work. Um, Look at verse 5, the second half of verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. So it says, In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Why does he do what he does? We'll look at it next week. Does God look ahead and figure out who the smart ones would be? Who the good ones would be? Who, Who the ones who would choose him would be, and then those are the ones he chooses? Or does he choose, does he predestinate according to the purpose of his choice? And what you're going to see Paul highlight is this refrain that God does all that he does according to the purpose of his will. Uh, uh, Also, uh, we see this in verse 9. Uh, In in verse 7, it says, according to the riches of his grace. In verse 9, it says, according to his purpose, which he set forth. So what we see is that we ought to worship God and praise God because he chose us. Now, there's all sorts of questions we could ask. Why did he choose us? It wasn't because we were good. It wasn't because we were better. Why didn't he choose everyone? We'll think about some of those things next week. A a large part of that is in the mystery of the will of God himself. But what it means to be God is that he does all that he pleases, King Nebuchadnezzar says, right? No one can stay his hand. And then, uh, in verse... uh, Three, we're called to bless God. In verse six, we're called to pray to the praise of his glorious grace. In verse 12, is to the praise of his glorious, uh, or to the praise of his glory. And then this text ends to the praise of his glory. It's clear to see that the charge of this text is that we worship God, that we see the Father at work. And then as we look at the son's work in here we see the doctrine of union with Christ everywhere so all that the father does for us he does for us in Christ Paul says in 2 Corinthians 120 for all the promises of God find their yes in him if God ever gave you a promise it's answered in Christ. He's never done anything good for you outside of Christ. That is why we utter through him, or that is why through him we utter our amen to God for his glory. It is in Christ. In Philippians 3, Paul says this, but whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul says, the most important thing in my life is that I know Christ and that I be found in him. When you're found in Christ, it's like being in the ark when God's wrath is poured out on the earth It is being saved from the wrath of God. Every good thing God is to us, he is for us in Christ. So let's just read through our text, see if we can see this. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ. There's union with Christ. When you read your New Testament, you have to see this. You have to know this. blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, adopted into the family of God through Christ Jesus, That's how you're adopted. According to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he blessed us in the beloved. That's Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. That's obviously in Christ. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished, on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will in Christ. See, we have no idea how the mystery comes to light apart from Christ. How can Gentiles be saved without Christ, that God saves both the Jews and the Gentiles. And then in verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. This is the restoration of the world. And that great work is done in Christ. I mean, you think of, think of creation. Is creation good? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And there's water, and the Spirit of God is hovering over the water. So you have the Father, and you have the Spirit, and then what does God do? He speaks, and all creation is created in Christ, for He is the Word. Right away, right off the bat, the Trinity hits us, so that when He creates man in His own image, he, he says, in our image, in verse 26 of Genesis 1. And then he says, in verse 12, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So it's in him you believed. It's in him you were given the Spirit. And so what we'll see as we work our way through this the next couple weeks, that God continually does his gracious work. If, 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 look at the notes. We, we see praise for his gracious work, and then we see his gracious work, and we're told that all that's done in Christ, and we're told that it's according to God's will, and then he says, praise God. That's the refrain through all three sections. Praise for the work of the Son in Christ, according to God's will, to the praise of God. And that's how this text flows um, and then as we see the spirit, this was interesting working through the spirit's always you got you have to look and see the work of the spirit. It's not quite as obvious often a, as it is seeing the father's work and the son's work. But we already looked at verse three where it says every spiritual blessing, but then as we read. Uh, look at verse four. Even as he chose us un, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. That that sanctification that leads up to glorification. I think uh, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Well, how are we? How do we become holy? John fifteen sixteen says, "You didn't choose me, but I choise, chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit." and that your fruit should abide. And then he says, uh, and then as we look at uh, verse 5, it says, in love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. And when we look at Romans, we see adoption and holiness brought together, that this is the Spirit's work. In Romans eight eleven, he says, if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the Dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So that's sanctification. That's fighting sin. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He connects adoption and the work of holiness in our life together. So we know that when we see that God's plan was that he would choose us to be holy and we would be adopted, that the Holy Spirit would have to be the one doing this work within us. And then in verse 8, it says, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. Well, we're told all throughout the New Testament. You know, even, even in verse 18 of, of Ephesians 1, it says, or verse 17, that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of, of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. So in verse 8, when he's making known to us his will, we're getting wisdom from God. That's the work of the Spirit. So while we don't see the Spirit's name specifically used, it's his work that brings about those things. The Scripture shows us this. This is, it, it dawned on me. It was really frustrating because you want to you get an outline that's just crisp and clear. It's like, here's the Father's work. Here's the Son's work. Here's the Holy Spirit's work. And then I get so excited because I see that in the text. But then it's like, but actually, the Spirit's working here also where the Father is, and it's in Christ. And then, and then I'm like, duh, this is the Trinity. You can see distinction between them you can you can can see them doing different things but yet they can never be separated from one another being of the same essence so of course my stupid little outline isn't going to be quite as crisp or as clean but what happens is the trinity flies out in every category And then in verse 10, when he talks about that there's a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth, what we see throughout the rest of Ephesians is in in chapter 2, verse 18, it says, For through him we have access in one spirit to the Father. So Jews and Gentiles are united in one spirit. That it's the Spirit of God, one baptism, one Spirit, that unites us together. So when we look at Christ's work of uniting, we also see the Spirit's work. I think you're getting the point. Um, In verse 13, I'll just point out a couple more. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Spirit. What did Jesus tell Nicodemus in John 3? He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I think that means he can't get there. But Nicodemus, you can't even see it. You need to be born of the Spirit. You need to have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. And then we see that we were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. We'll get to that in a couple weeks, that if something's sealed, it's secured. It's as good as done. And the Christian who has the Spirit of God inside them, crying, Abba, Father, it's our guarantee that all these spiritual blessings, this inheritance that God predestined for us in Christ, before the foundations of the world, it's as good as done. And so, all these things, as we fly over quickly, we'll dive into in the next three weeks, and then we'll pray that God would help us Meditate on. Be amazed by. Because your life and my life will be lived either according to our knowledge of Christ and what it means to be found in Him, to whatever degree we know that and are thinking about that, we'll live in the new man according to the power of the Spirit. And to whatever degree we forget that, you'll live according to the flesh in your own wisdom, in your own insight. You know, Paul said, I, this, uh, this world's been crucified to me and I to the world. He's saying, once I found Christ, this world doesn't like me and I'm not impressed with what I see out here. Well, we'll be half-hearted creatures fooling around with fleshly things if we forget who we are in Christ. When you're broken, when you're struggling, when you're wondering if there's any hope in light of your circumstances, like Psalm 103 says, help me not forget the benefits of being known by God. And then pray like the psalmist. Tell your soul to bless the Lord. Praise the Lord for His wondrous work that He's done in us.